five, six, seven, eight. Amy. Amy. Yay. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Gilmore to Say with Tara and Haley. I'm Tara. This is Haley. Hi, Haley. Hi, Tara. When this episode goes up, the book club will have just started reading both of their books. <gasps> really? That's right, because it's our yeah. first episode of April. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Happy April. Happy April, everybody. Spring has sprung. Mm-hmm. And with that, so has the book club. So if you want to still join us on Fable, the app is completely free. A lot of people had a lot of questions about that. Mm. But you just download the app. The app is free. It's free to join. It's free to read. Pride and Prejudice is actually free to read if you join the where you read I will follow because it's free in the app and then seven days in June which reading is sexy is now reading you do have to buy that book but you can also buy it in the app or check it out from the library but Mm. you can still join us because we've just we've only just started reading so if you want to download fable and search Gilmore to say podcast or you can go to our Instagram page and our links or you can go to Gilmore to read our Instagram for the book club you can find us lots of different ways or in the description of this episode I'll also put a link to our book club if you want to join That's perfect. I'm so excited. I know. There's like a little chat feature on Fable where Mm -hmm. you can like, you know, chat about what's going on in the book, just like chat with other readers. And I've just like, I've already loved in the like last week talking with everyone. Everyone's so excited about reading. And it's just like, those are my people. Makes your heart really happy. I know. It really does. Gilmore Girls in reading? I mean, come on. Come on. (laughs) You know what else made my heart really happy? When I was researching for this episode. Mm So when I get to the point of this, you're going to realize what I'm about to say, but I'm going to tell this to our besties because I know that you know that I'm one of four kids. Mm -hmm. I'm the third. Mm -hmm. And my older sister and my older brother both have partners. My older sister's husband, his birthday is January 15th. Mm -hmm. And Mandy, who my brother is marrying in June in Italy gonna be a lot of fun mm-hmm. her birthday is january 16th and so i've always been told that the love of my life would be a man who was born on january 17th mm-hmm. really narrows down the field right it really does so there's a lot of pressure yeah yeah <laughs> well i mean i just gotta find a man on january 17th or like the love of my life my soulmate yeah come to find out that the universe misunderstood <laughs> because do you know who was born on january 17th is it amy sherman palladino it was amy sherman palladino shut up i did not know that really yeah yeah <gasps> wow so the universe misunderstood the call and was like you have called gilmore girls love your life before wait like one of the loves of your life and the creator of gilmore girls was born on january 17th that which is was when your soulmate was supposed to be born. that is amazing <laughs> Oh my god, did you share that with your family yet? No, but like, <laughs> no one's gonna be surprised because it's like, here I was thinking I was gonna have, you know, a man, a life partner, uh-huh. but instead it's a TV show I've been watching for 17 years. Yeah, and it's your mom. A podcast about. It's your second mom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's so funny. That weird? What a funny little like universe thing. Yeah. Or if any of you know a man who was born on January 17th that might slightly resemble Matt Zucre, let us know. Please call in. Doesn't even have to. I don't know. <laughs> Or Milo. <laughs> be fun. <laughs> but yeah, so she was born on January 17th, 1966. She was. Yeah, I see that here, which is so... The date of my soulmate's birthday. I know. So. Wow. That's so exciting. <laughs> well, as Haley said, we're here to talk about Ms. Amy Sherman-Palladino today because we've done a lot of talk about her characters, but we haven't really gotten into Amy herself. Right. Who she is, what we know about her, the history of what led her to Gilmore Girls, because we've talked a lot about the show itself. We've talked a lot about her as a writer, what, what she loves, of yeah. course. And we've talked about the characters. We've talked about her time on Gilmore Girls and how she left the show, how she returned to the show. We've talked about some of her other works, but we haven't really talked about the history of Amy and 
And yeah. I was so excited to like get into that. I've never really done a deep dive on her, even though she's been yeah. one of my inspirations as a writer and has created, you know, this thing that we all know and love. And your personality. <laughs> and also my entire personality. So much so that I accosted her at the Emmy Awards. But <laughs> <laughs> no, you didn't accost her. I didn't. I just went up to her and you know Words the of story. affirmation. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Words of affirmation. I just thrust a love language upon her anyway. But we, you know, it was really interesting to do a deep dive of how she got to Gilmore Girls because I think that sharing that story is very interesting because it also kind of put into perspective a lot of what she puts into this show and what she has put into her other shows that stemmed from her parents, her life, how she grew up, where she came from. So I'm really excited to get into that today. I know. We're going to start with what we know. We're going to start with the history of and then we're going to get into kind of the basics. What we don't know and what we would like to know. Yeah. Because one of my favorite things that we do, we prepare the same thing, but we don't know what the other one has. Exactly. So maybe we have the exact same information. We might. Maybe we have differing information. Which and I love because I like we both yeah. came here preparing separately. We didn't tell each other what we were looking into. So I love that we're going to kind of tell this story together, but we don't even really know it. Yeah. <laughs> so let's start at the beginning. Yeah. January 17th, 1966. I know. <laughs> okay. So Amy V. Sherman was born in Los Angeles on January 17th, 1966. I want to know what the V stands for. Lorelai Victoria Gilmore. Ooh. You know what I also learned was that Sherman is actually her dad's stage name, Don Sherman. Yes. So her name on her birth certificate, she was quoted in an article as saying she doesn't even exist <gasps> because that's not her dad's real last name. Yeah. But she was on her birth certificate Amy V. Sherman. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So on her birth certificate, it's her dad's stage name. Yeah, I know. And Maven Hughes, who is her mother, is yes. Maven Hughes Sherman. So like she also took that name, which yeah. is very interesting. <laughs> but Don Sherman, her dad, was an actor, stand-up comedian, and writer. A lot of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel and the character of Midge actually are a lot of components of him. And her mother, Maven Hughes, is a professional dancer and singer, Broadway performer. She's still performing. I think she's 92, 93. Yeah, she's, yeah. She's amazing. What an amazing woman. And Maven Hughes is the name of Hughes' brother, Mm -hmm. what is that, Otto? Yeah, the Otto Body Shop. Yeah, Yeah. Gypsy Works at. Yeah, I think we talked about this when we got to that episode in season one, Yeah, which I believe is Love, Daisies, and Troubadours when Lorelai and Rory are sitting at the kitchen table and they're talking about like, who bought the Otto Body Shop after Maven Hughes? And we came to find out that Maven Hughes is Amy's mom, which is so exciting. She actually was also in an episode of Gilmore Girls. She was in Rory's Dance. You know when the women find Rory and Dean in Miss Patty's? (gasps) Is she one of the women? She's one of the women. I think she's one of the That's Lorelai's girl. But I I didn't actually watch it. I just saw a still of her and I was like, oh my God, that's her mom. She has like red spiky hair. So if you go back and watch it, that's her. And she also was in, her credits include on IMDb like Bunheads and Gilmore Girls A Year in Life. So she puts her mom in her stuff and I just love that. (laughs) I love that so much. Well, that's like one of like the fascinating things is like that a lot of people want to know is like her relationship with her mom Mm -hmm. because she writes, you know, she wrote Gilmore Girls, which is about relationships. Yeah, exactly. And I'm very curious about that. I think we could file that under what we want to know because I watched an interview with Maven Hughes and she was on a talk show, like a YouTube talk show last summer. 
And a lot of what she shared sounds like they are close. It sounds like Amy will drop what she's doing filming-wise to come see Maven perform in any of her shows. And I think that's so sweet. So it sounds like they have a decent relationship, but also no one knows what happens behind closed doors. Yeah, I was about to say, you always want to like best foot forward in the press, always talk very like highly of your family. At least most people would. Sure. So I wonder what what it's like to actually have grown up with her. Because one of the things that I found out, because when I was looking at like Amy's childhood, because she grew up in the San Fernando Valley mm-hmm. she's a valley girl mm-hmm. that it was like an interview that her mom had given that Amy really wanted to take tap classes but she was going to teach her and that she didn't want to like spend the time like with Amy frustrated at her because she was giving only her feedback mm-hmm. she opened it up to all the kids in the neighborhood I know and she started this like children's <laughs> theater company which I think is yeah. so cool that she just did that in her backyard yeah and then Amy started writing for them when she was like six or seven yeah because they didn't want to put on shows that were done before they didn't want to put on stories that had already been told they wanted to do original works and Amy started writing which is so funny because in a lot of interviews Amy has said I never intended to be a writer and Mabin said, I knew from the beginning she was going to be a writer. Because I think when you see that creativity in a child, I mean, that's so rare. Because, like, there are so many kids who love to perform. But when you see them wanting to actually write and develop their own work, that's just on a different level. Yeah. It's also, like, such a mom thing. Because, like, my mom who, like, literally used to be like, Haley, you're never going to be able to talk to people about Gilmore Girls for a career. And now she's like, um... Of course she would. You know what I mean? Of (laughs) course. Yeah. Yeah. In hindsight, it's definitely something to reflect on. I wonder if she actually felt that way in real time because Amy obviously grew up in a show business kind of family. You know, her mom was a performer and Amy was a classically trained dancer from a very young age because of that. Mabin is very much of the mindset of like ballet is a religion. Every mother should put their daughter or child in ballet classes because it teaches you a lot about conditioning. It teaches you so much. And that's, I think, where a lot of bun heads came from yeah which is so interesting because I would argue that like Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is a lot about her dad and has obviously like strokes of her mom in there from the performing arts and the musical capacity of it because she credits like a lot of Midge to parts of her father and then Bunheads I think has a lot to do with being a professionally trained dancer classically trained and a lot of what her mom gave her whereas Gilmore Girls it's just like a fantasy world yeah and we'll get into that a little later when we talk about her actually pitching the show but I just found that to be so fascinating that like the two subsequent shows after this, you know, lightning in a bottle, as she's referred to it, with Gilmore Girls, were really centered around her mom and her dad and what they brought to her life. They say, like, write about what you know, and that's what she knows, you know, and that came from, it seems like her parents were really at the helm of the inspiration for those two subsequent shows. Yeah. But with Gilmore Girls, it's interesting to see, like, some of the strokes that were interwoven into them, less that that was inspired by yeah. them. It kind of feels like, not to get into Gilmore Girls prematurely, it feels like Gilmore Girls is maybe more her. Mm. Like, because I I have only seen the first season of Maisel, like, when it, like, the day it came out. Like, I, it's been so long. I need to catch up on that because when she was talking about, she always knew she wanted to write about her dad, but she basically turned her dad into a woman yeah. to write The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay, Chili's, I need to watch that. I know. I know. It's so good. Also because it's, like, Amy and it's because it's, 
Well, it's also just an so incredible good. show. I mean, Brett yeah. said to me last night, we were talking about, you know, things that we want to catch up on. And he was like, I really want to watch Maisel. Like, he's yeah. really into it. Because it's just, it's a beautiful, gorgeous show. And we'll talk, we'll get into that in another time. But anyway, <laughs> they created this children's, kind of this like inadvertently like children's theater company in their backyard, which was really fun. And it allowed Amy the space to perform and to write and do all of those things simultaneously. But she was a classically trained trained dancer and kind of intended to see that through. And so when she graduated from high school, she didn't go to college. She went to the Groundlings. Yeah, and with Lisa Kudrow. She and Lisa Kudrow were in the Groundlings together. So for those of you who don't know what the Groundlings is, it's an improvisational sketch comedy group in Los Angeles where a lot of comedy greats have come out of. Will Ferrell, Melissa McCarthy, Jennifer Coolidge, Kathy Griffin, Maya Rudolph, Jimmy Fallon, J.J. Abrams. Like, you know who talks about, about a lot is um, Dax Shepard, if you ever listen to his podcast. Yes. He was in the Groundlings. I mean, so yeah. many people. I believe Angela Kinsey was also in the Groundlings. They didn't mention her on the Wikipedia page because I'm sure there are just like so many people who went There's through so there. Many. It's kind of like LA's second city. Second city. Exactly. Exactly. So she studied there for about four years and one of the courses that was there was a writing course and so she got to hone in on her sketch writing skills while also simultaneously performing. She wanted to do improv classes and dance classes instead of immediately launching herself into college which yeah. in hindsight, I mean, I thought my college experience was fine and it taught me a lot. It made me a very well-rounded person. I would not be where I am today without it. Yeah, quite so circular. Yeah, but like this makes a lot of sense. If you already know what you want to do kind of a thing or if you're just honing in on these skills and you're living in LA, like throwing yourself into classes like that, so important. And it feels like all of this, like her childhood was leading up to this because like you said, like her mother was a dancer Mm -hmm. and she was like raised in that. But like similarly, her father being a stand-up comedian Mm -hmm. from the Bronx, she also got this like this is where we can really feel Gilmore Girls is that like she got this different sort of education Mm. sitting around listening to men joke in her backyard Mm -hmm. and like the kind of jokes that they would tell like the way that they would talk yeah and the kind of comedy that they introduced to her yeah and what that did for her and her sense of humor yeah because Mabin says that Amy and her dad were one and the same the fast-paced dialogue the quick wit that was all her dad and so for that to like for her to grow up around that that really informed the way that she wrote and that informed the way that she kind of like the scope of what comedy was to her and I think there's something so cool about that because when you do have parents in show business chances are going to college I mean unless that's not really what you want to do but like going to college is really going to educate you so far having the real world experience of that I mean like she was kind of born into this perfect hybrid of who she became because her musicality from her mom is really interwoven into her comedy and into her storytelling so yeah it was really exciting to kind of read about her parents and read also about it from her mom's perspective and to listen to how she recalls a lot of things because Mabin kind of got into Amy's time in the groundlings and how that kind of led her to her first writing job because according to Mabin that's where she met Jennifer Heath who Amy started writing with. Yeah. Yeah. And Don, again, this is according to Maven, Don told them to start writing together because the business was changing and they weren't hiring as many older writers anymore. They were looking for younger writers, specifically female writers, to join yeah. these writers' Whereas rooms. Amy says chicks. Chicks. She loves to call girls chicks. The chicks, I know. Chicks in the room. Yeah, I love it. That's literally what she said to me. Oh my gosh, it Emmys. was. She was like, they're hiring yeah. the chicks now. I loved like, it. Literally every interview that I read with her, it was always about the chicks, the writers who were chicks. Yeah. And I completely forgot she said that to you. Yeah, and it's true. 
true. I mean, to to hear that it was happening as early as like the late 80s, early 90s, when she was kind of, you know, figuring out where she wanted to be is interesting because according to Maven, like this episode should be according to Maven, <laughs> according to Maven Hughes, brought to you, you by Maven Hughes. Mom. <laughs> <laughs> but according to her recounting this, you know, Don was kind of struggling in the industry to get into the writer's rooms because he was an older male mm. writer. So he's looking at his Don daughter, seeing that she has this spark and this fire and has since she was what six years old and is like you guys should totally write together this is where you should be so I read this in style article which is where I got a lot of Amy's recounting of it which I'm sure you also found it's great it's from last year and according to Amy Jennifer would bring their scripts to her day job she taught traffic school and she would force her scripts on like any poor soul who would run a red light (laughs) because like everybody in LA is trying to be in show business so somehow you know somehow that got it in the right hands and that landed Amy and Jennifer jobs writing for a show called The City in 1990 with Valerie Harper. Mm. Amy wrote one episode and then that I believe eventually landed her an offer for Roseanne. Yeah. Which I would argue was like her big break. Do you feel like stories like that like there's always like whenever I read these in interviews and like these like almost like it becomes very fabled in your past like the lore of yourself Mm. that like my writing partner was teaching traffic school someone ran a red light and handed it off and now we work for Roseanne. Yeah. That it's like I really want to know it's like what was the nitty gritty of that? Like how did that actually? Well you know interestingly in the interview with Mabin she kind of made it sound like and I don't know if this is true that like Don kind of helped that get in the right hands. Mm. And I wouldn't be surprised by that. And there's nothing wrong with that yeah. whatsoever. I mean, she has a dad who works in show business, who's a writer. Yeah. Why Never wouldn't baby. he try to put that in the right hands? Work your connections, yeah. baby. So I don't really know how it got into the right hands, but I agree with you. It's kind of like, what's the nitty gritty of that? Because sometimes yeah. that's really how it happens. When I moved to the city and I was waiting tables, I was just like, I just want any job in show business because I hate waiting tables. And I just like saw a friend I went to college with one night at a bar, said something to her. Like I almost didn't because I thought it was overstepping and I was like do you know of any jobs and she was like yeah I just got offered this dresser's job let me call my friend Joe and her friend Joe called me and then I got hired and that was Heather's the musical and it's like the rest is history yeah that's genuinely how it happened so it can happen that way but of course there's like there is the nitty-gritty of like how did it get there where did it come from yeah there's like this like folklore nature to it of like this is the story I tell this is so rehearsed because I've been asked this question a million times. times so here's the condensed version yeah here's the sweet version but yes like that is the story that's kind of out there. And I think that's what's so marvelous about marvelous if you will, about Amy is that it was a male thing to be this easily successful. Mm. Like even if like Don was like, you know, aging out, one of the reasons that Amy said that she was like, you know, it seemed that she got a job so easily is because her and her writing partner were like a well-honed sort of duo mm. of women that like unfortunately they seem to have gotten into the room at the time because they needed women in the room Mm -hmm. which like don't bite a gift horse don't look a gift horse in the mouth is that what the saying is that like just like take it and run Mm. but it does seem like that was the beginning and you know that's what they needed and it's what worked but for sure unfortunately that's that was why i know i know and i think we're even still facing that today yeah you know filling a quota is sometimes the reason why people get in the room but at the same time you can take what you get. So interestingly, and I think a lot of people know this, I didn't know like the complete details of this and it made my heart really happy because there are like some parallel strokes for my life. But when she was offered Roseanne, Amy, at the same time, she had gotten a call back for <laughs> the hit musical, <laughs> Cats. <laughs> 
that's like one of my favorite things about her history is that like it was literally like Roseanne or Cats. cats. Like, but at the time, the think about it, 1991, Cats was huge yeah cats was a huge deal and it wasn't even a certain thing it was a callback Mm -hmm. it wasn't even necessarily an offer it was a callback yeah but it's just like roseanne or cats like how 1991 of her i know (laughs) to literally be torn between roseanne and cats and cats so i think that she it sounds to me like she was very torn about it and jennifer heath was the one to be like this is the number one show in america right now are you kidding like go right for this but it's so interesting to think and i'm sure she would have eventually landed where she needed to but it's so interesting to think that she was standing at this like fork in the road of her life and obviously took in my opinion the right path oh yeah you know she could have been a professional dancer and followed in the footsteps of her mom and done that but it sounded like she really had a knack for today we certainly wouldn't my personality i don't even know who i'd be <laughs> Someone else would have had to invented me. I would have had to watch that one episode of Valerie over and over and over again to get to where I am today. <laughs> or oh my or God. the city, whatever it's called, but that Valerie Harper show. <laughs> but basically, it was like, you would be a fool not to take this job. And so she did. Yeah. And I think it was smart. I mean, obviously, she threw herself into improv classes for a reason. And she threw herself into the groundlings for a reason. You know, I think that that was kind of like itching at her to begin with. Maybe she didn't have the intention of becoming a writer. I feel very similarly about that. Also, Cats was my first Broadway show doing wardrobe. And I was like, Amy literally was like, Cats or this? It's just so it's just so crazy to me. Well, one of the reasons she said she didn't want to be a writer is because she didn't like the process that was kind of in place. Because Mm. I think she talks about how different it was being at Roseanne because it was just like a small group of writers Mm. like the studio wasn't really there but like in other spaces it's like a bunch of men just sitting around in a room trying to come up with jokes and she was like I remember one of the interviews she said it has to be more like fruitful working at a Denny's Mm. than doing this because she just didn't enjoy it and so she would have based like her love of writing and wanting to be a writer on that sort of situation she wouldn't have done it yeah which i'm just like i can't believe it <laughs> i know well it's interesting because she does say that working at roseanne was was a little tumultuous like all of the writers yeah. were men and they were trying to like you know really start to integrate women i think she makes this joke in the, in one of the articles i read about how <laughs> she's like they finally realized that they should have somebody in the room who's menstruated <laughs> and that feels so yeah. amy but like she really didn't love it Like, didn't love it so much that she almost quit to teach ballet because she was just like, this is not it. This is not what I want. This is not what I planned. And I just got to say, I do not understand. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) But in that, she said it also helped her hone her voice. Mm -hmm. Like it helped her have a perspective and a point of view because she really had to adapt to someone else's voice. Mm. But in doing so, she said that she helped focus in on what hers was and how she wanted to talk because it wasn't like a normal sitcom Mm. and so she never learned like quote-unquote like sitcom habits which i think is okay yeah oh perfectly fine but it was more of just finding the point of view of a woman and what in her life can be mundane but be like the most important detail of the episode yeah the the mantra of roseanne which is one of my favorite quotes from this this article is make the small big and the big small it's the little things that are the most relatable not some over-the-top plot what keeps people coming back are characters that you can really root for And that's so important. Yeah. The fact that she learned that at Roseanne 
was so crucial because, yeah, she talks about having to write in the style of these voices that were so strong. You know, think Laurie Metcalf oh, in Roseanne. Laurie Metcalf, I mean, my what love. a freaking goddess oh, and like an gosh. iconic actor. And to have to write in the style of that voice because that is such an obstacle, but also like the pinnacle of being a good television writer is like not even just writing in the style of who you are. Because obviously we hear Amy's voice in all of these shows. We know it's her. Yeah. But you have to like it's coming out in the form of Lorelai Gilmore, Rory Gilmore, Midge Maisel, etc. You know, to have to then really hone in on something that had already really been established, right? Because she joined, yeah, I believe, season three. Season three, yeah, through six. So to have to join in on something that's already been created and established, and a voice and character has already been built, I think is such a such good framework to like really make you a stronger writer. So it's no surprise that that's what came out of it for her. But what was really exciting for her because she said it was so tumultuous and like she was kind of like. <laughs> I need to quit. I need to leave. I should go back and teach ballet because I'm sure that was super comfortable for her. But in her second year with the show, she wrote an episode where Becky, who's one of the teenage daughter, she wants to go on birth control. And that episode was nominated for an Emmy Award. Yeah. Which is insane. I know. But that for her, it sounds like is where it really started to click. She was like, oh, okay, I can do this. I mean, like in your second year on your second show, Roseanne, the number one show in America, you were nominated for an Emmy Award for your writing. You should be doing this. Absolutely. 1000%. There's nothing like getting a little bit of validation when you're in a situation like that. From the Emmys. (laughs) From the Emmy. From Emmy herself. From Emmy herself. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Haley, I feel like most of our followers already know that we don't really drink alcohol, but we do love a fun beverage. Oh, we do. Both of us think a fun beverage and a chill night is the epitome of a good time, especially when that drink is a recess mood, which is a delicious sparkling water infused with functional ingredients like mood lifting magnesium and stress balancing adaptogens. So you can relax without the alcohol. I drink mine every night while reading, of course. Tara, tell everyone how you enjoy yours. Honestly, I usually drink mine while we're recording the podcast. (laughs) It's my favorite way to enjoy a recess. And all of our besties can get 15% off the Recess Mood Sampler Pack at takearecess.com slash GTS. Recess Mood is made with real fruit and comes in four delicious flavors like strawberry rose and raspberry lemon. But my personal favorite is the grapefruit tangerine. And with only 20 calories and no added sugar, it's the perfect way to chill. You deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com slash GTS and get 15% off Recess Mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. I don't know what it is, but cowboy boots are magic. Since they've arrived, I've worn my Tacovis boots almost every day. I have the Annie in Midnight. I know you have the Annie in Bone. I do. But they make me feel so powerful because, of course, it is my dream to be a cowgirl. Yes, I know this about you, but I also know (laughs) you've told me that you wear them while you write your book. I do. I wear them all the time because I also wear them when I get dressed up or when I'm sitting at my dress recording the podcast because they make me feel so bold and brave and like I can do anything no matter how I style them. Tacovis has carried forward all the time-honored traditions and quality that you find in a great pair of cowboy boots, but they've innovated on comfort, style, and service with boots for men and women handmade from the most premium leathers. And if you dream of being cowgirls like us or you're already Western to your core, Tacovis is the perfect brand to start with because they believe in Western for all. They don't only offer their handmade boots, but all sorts of head-to-toe Western staples. Perfect jeans to go with your boots, pearl snaps, bandanas, and cowboy hats. You name it and they'll get you out. Outfitted. 
And if you can't make it into a store, Tacovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. So visit tacovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And as a special opportunity for our listeners, Tacovis has said that they will throw in one of their best-selling trucker hats or ball caps for free into any minimum purchase of $100 on tacovis.com. Just use the code Gilmore at checkout. That's G-I-L-M-O-R-E. It's about a $30 value and they sell fast, so they're always new styles and looks. Again, for a limited time, just enter code Gilmore at checkout to add a free logo hat to your order as a one-time gift from Tecovis. Only at tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com and point your toes west. And interestingly, Dan Palladino also wrote for Roseanne. So Dan was a writer for years. Before he met Amy, he worked on Who's the Boss? I believe he also worked for Cheers. Like he worked for a bunch of a bunch of shows. Wait, he worked on Who's the Boss? Yes. That was Logan's favorite show growing up. Well, that's so now funny. You know why. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah in season when Honor Huntsberger shows up and she's like that's Alyssa when he Milano. Was in his big, who's the big boss? Who's the boss face? <laughs> I remember that. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. So he's a writer on Who's the Boss. Now, they both worked on Roseanne, but according to IMDb, they worked on Roseanne at different times. Oh, really? So I don't know if that's where they met. Oh, my god! Because according to Maven, they met through her ex-partner, who I'm assuming is Jennifer Heath. I saw that, too. Yeah. So I'm not sure what that means. I couldn't tell if it was ex-partner in the sense of like her ex-writing partner partner? or if it was like an ex, like an ex-boyfriend. Totally. I know, which the the latter would be scandalous. There wasn't a lot of information about it. (laughs) I know. So in my research, just like a little bit, and I could be wrong, but this is what it said according to IMDb. Dan and Amy did not work on the show at the same time. Amy left in 1994 and Dan worked there from 1995 to 1997. Mm. But they did go on to work on a show in 1997 together called Over the top with Tim Curry. And then basically all of Dan's credits after that on IMDb, with the exception of Family Guy, are all on Amy shows. So I'm assuming that was like, if they didn't meet on Roseanne, they must have met there and the rest is history. Very exciting. Yeah, because there's there was that was like the one thing that was like really lacking is like her history with Dan, which like that's uh, fine. No, and that's like, okay. Like keep it personal. Keep your privacy. Yeah. But especially because of speculate. her writing. I'm just, that is one of the things on the list of what I want to know. I've always wanted to know what her wedding to Dan was like because of the yeah. way she's written proposals, weddings, Especially on Gilmore Girls. Did she wear a top hat? (laughs) Yeah. I just like, I'm so curious if she could equate her relationship with Dan or her marriage to Dan proposal, etc. to a relationship on Gilmore Girls. Would any of them fit the mold or is it a combination of a lot of them? Does she kind of put bits and pieces into them? Is it more Suki Jackson? Is it more of what Lorelai and Luke did at the end of the revival? Yeah. Or is it none of them? Is it none of them? Just like, and she didn't want to put something like that personal in there. I always wonder, but something that she said in one of the articles that I read was how her dad proposed to her mom. Oh, really? Yeah. (gasps) You're going to feel like, of course they did, because he just said, okay, I'll do it. And that was how her father proposed to her mother, apparently. No. And it was just something so casual, so like, you know, it's so Gilmore Girls. Oh, yeah. That it's just like, there's no fanfare. There's no real question to it. It's just like, okay, I'll do it. Yeah. And that's what she said. That's how he proposed to her. Wow. I was like, that makes was so there much a sense. precursor? Yeah. Was there even a question? <laughs> Did she know what it was? Was she like, okay, you'll go with me to the movies tomorrow? Great. See you Great. there. Cool. And meanwhile, a pastor <laughs> shows up, a minister. Yeah. <laughs> pastor and a minister? Yeah, two. It was a Amazing. two for one sale. <laughs> 
No, but yeah, she wrote an article or she was like read an essay and in it she talked about that was how her father proposed. Wow. And I was like, how in keeping that with feels every single proposal on Gummer Girls. So real and so right. But that's why I want to know, we've always questioned how she and I almost just said Max. <laughs> Wrong. Oh. Dan. Her and Max Medina. Her and um, Dan, how they how that happened. I know. I'm very curious if their relationship yeah. is like any of the ones depicted or if it's not. Are they Emily and Richard? Did he propose to her at the, you know, over a trash can? Or Yeah. <laughs> is it like Max Medina <laughs> where he called her and he was like, hey, let's do this. I think was it's it somewhere a in the middle. You know, I just that's something, it a fight? That's something yeah. I would love to know. There's part of me that's like wants to quote like romance is not dead if you'd keep it just yours but Mm. it's like there's part of me that just doesn't feel like she would believe in that Mm. because she's a very cynical person she's said that before she thinks that people are born evil and that they have to have goodness beat into them yeah so like there's part of me that like doesn't think that she would you know want to protect her romance but maybe she would i don't know maybe i don't know it's so interesting now speaking to amy and dan in the interview that i watched with maven hughes she said that amy and dan write separately they don't write together. Mm, and I found that very fascinating. I want to know more about that because like we have talked before, we're going to have some writers on the show this yeah. season to kind of like talk about their process, like some of like maybe the episode that they wrote on, but mostly because I want to hear what the writer's room is like because there's so little like specifically about it because I want someone to tell me like, exactly what went down there but from like what I could kind of determine was it's just like they would do the outline in the writer's room and then they would like write of course separately and then it would always pass through Amy or Amy and Dan's hands Mm. so that like the dialogue would like be punched up because there's been writers who have quoted yeah there's writers who has quoted as like the writer's room really is in the outline it's Amy and the dialogue but I want to know more oh I so want to know what that was like I really do. Yeah. So we'll we'll have some writers on to like hopefully yeah answer to these kind of burning answer questions, questions we have. Yeah. But I just found that really interesting that that was her impression of it, or at least what she had been told or yeah. or knew about the two of them. It's so. so funny every time you bring up her mom, I have to think of like my mom telling a story about my life oh, yeah. and like how like her understanding of it. Totally. Because it could be totally accurate yeah but also no i i totally agree i sometimes i love my mom but sometimes she said things and i'm like never happened (laughs) why would you confirm that for people yeah so i guess you never know but anyway we were in um 1997 i think we were so left off in her timeline so between Roseanne and Gilmore Girls. She left the show in 1994. In 1995, she was a co-executive producer on this TV series called Can't Hurry in Love. She also was an executive producer on a TV series called Love and Marriage, which doesn't look like it really went anywhere. Mm. And then, like I said, she went to the show called Over the Top with Tim Curry. And I don't know if that's where she met Dan, but that's also where she landed. And then she was doing a show called Veronica's Closet from 1998 to 1999, which I have heard of I have never watched but she was an executive producer on that I remember that that show oh my god I've seen it's so funny because like on TikTok I've seen like the intro to that show I've seen like clips oh, really? of it yeah like <laughs> does anybody remember the show it was with Kirstie Alley and Kathy Najimy so like sounds like it was a lot of fun it ran for I think like a few years it ran from 97 to the year 2000 I don't believe that Amy was on the show for that long it looks like she only was with the show for 21 episodes from 19 1998 to 1999 and then she got a meeting at the WB WB. now according to what she recounted at ATX in 2015 when they did the 15 year reunion oh yeah that is such a gorgeous thing to watch we'll post about that it's on YouTube it's 
amazing yeah and they're hilarious you can just look on youtube atx gilmore girls and There's it'll so many interviews right there so that, many like, things yeah if you want a cozy little time Oof, go watch all it's those. right there for There's you a coffee with amy interview that like i've watched like six times i've never seen just, that one really yeah i oh, haven't no. it's cozy is it We're in a yeah cozy it's just open. a nice little time to be fair it's called coffee with amy but she puts the coffee down like two minutes <laughs> and she says it's bad <laughs> well good for her an honest woman yeah but according to amy she was optioning a story like a bunch of stories to the wb one of them was was an LA Magazine article. It was a story from LA Magazine about a girl from the Philippines who was raised in America with very traditional parents. Like she had a lot of plot. She had pages and pages of work on this. And the WWE was like, okay, what else do you have? (laughs) And so because like they weren't biting at anything, she kind of blurted out this idea about a mother and daughter who were more like friends. And they were like, great, we'll buy that. And she said that, she said that right before that, like leading up to that, she decided she wasn't going to work in television anymore because, you know, she'd come off a nightmare job. And I wonder if that was Veronica's closet, but she didn't name it. And Dan, you know, she said, my husband said, you know, shut up and just write something. Just write something that you that you love. And so basically when they were bored with all the things she was pitching and she blurts out this idea about a mother and daughter who are more like friends and mother and daughter. When she came out, she looked at her manager and she was like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> it's a mother, it's a daughter. Do they yeah. roller skate? <laughs> My favorite part of that is that when she like left that, she said, I didn't have an idea. I had a relationship. Mm. And like that concept of like, because you know, like plot is very important when you're going through a story. Mm. You need a plot. You need, this story needs to unfold. But I love that the idea of this like show that we all love clearly, because like what else are we doing here if not loving Gilmore Girls? Yeah. Was born because she had the idea for the relationship. Yeah. And it's really hard to pull a story out of a relationship and like put it someplace and like make it fit into where you need it to be. Yeah. But, but she, she did. Work. Well, because yeah. shortly after they went on vacation to Connecticut, which is so funny. Being someone who lives in Connecticut, I'm like, <laughs> why would you vacation in Do you know why she went there? She wanted to go see the Mark Twain house. Yes. <laughs> she wanted to see the Mark Twain house, the Red Room. I don't know. It's a long story. <laughs> So that funny. Me. But they ended up staying at like this beautiful inn in the fall. And she was like walking around yeah. and stacked out in pumpkins. In Washington Depot. In Washington Depot, Connecticut. And she said that like everybody was like talking to each other and saying hello and like asking how their day yeah. was. And she was like, what? Yeah. Is this a real place? This she, cannot be real. She said she went to the diner and everyone was just kind of serving themselves. And she was like, what, what is, is this, this? Yeah. Especially if you are from LA because she grew up there. Like she didn't know yeah. really anywhere else. Connecticut is culture yeah. shock. Let me tell you. Know you know what she called growing up in the valley she said it was the land of porn and the color brown <laughs> wow yeah that feels so real. then to go someplace where she has this idea of like you know this idyllic small town where she had this like idyllic small town where like there was a pumpkin patch across the street and yeah. everyone knew each other and this was like a fantasy world to her because she was like this is how everyone else lives who doesn't live in the land of the color brown yeah so it just is so it's interesting, so interesting because stars hollow is very to. brown it's very brown <laughs> I guess that's what everyone was interwoven. Is, that's so funny. There's lots of brown. There's lots of hollow. brown corduroy. <laughs> <laughs> she had to pay homage to her hometown. She really did, I guess. But yeah, she turned to Dan and was like, I just said it here. It's here. And they were staying in an inn and maybe she works in an inn. And, you know, obviously they go into the diner. I've actually been to that diner. It's very cute. Have you? Yes, it's very cute. It definitely is not Luke's diner, but it's cute. Will you take me? For sure. I will take you. I think it's been updated (laughs) since then because obviously like this was in the year 2000 and I went there during the pandemic. So like, you know, 20 years later, it's definitely been judged. It doesn't feel necessarily a small town diner. It feels more like a cafe. Yeah. I love that the idea for it was born from this. Yeah. Very cool. This little tiny little town is... um. And Stars Hollow was actually, like it was 
Washington Depot was where they went and it was kind of inspired by, but it's also a culmination of another town called Litchfield and then New Milford, which I went to. It's the town north of where I grew up in Connecticut. And oh, really? Yeah. So and close. New Milford is like center of town is the gazebo. The little shops are everywhere. Like it definitely feels like Stars Hollow there. So when I read that, I was really excited. Yeah. And that kind of just like the whole story seemed to unfold from that because mm-hmm. apparently, I didn't know this. I mean, it makes sense. Hartford is the insurance capital of the world. <laughs> so it's like, she said that being in Connecticut, just the backdrop of the show just sort of like fell together yeah. in like the time they were there. Yeah. It just feels so magical. And like, it's one of those, another mo- moment of that like folklore feeling that like, you're just like, this is the lore of Amy Sherman Palladino. Then it's like, I just want to believe it. This is, that's what happened. You yeah. know, there was nothing else to it. Everything fell together right then. I and know. that's, it feels so magical. Well, yeah. When you think about the fact that she was able to kind of build out this town, what's great about Connecticut, and I'm sure a lot of other places, is that you can kind of dream up this town in your mind and you can kind of put in there whatever you'd like. But until I really realized that like dance was such a big part of her life, Miss Patty's School of Dance now makes a lot of sense, even though it was kind of this like side character in and of itself, both Miss Patty and the dance studio, because you see them doing ballet all of the time or doing some form of dance. There's always some dance in the town square with something that they're doing. Literally, like Miss Patty is always smoking a really long cigarette and teaching somebody (laughs) how to dance. And I just wonder how much of her mother was also kind of thrown into that. Yeah, or like any of the dance teachers that she had. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's so funny. But I love that bunheads was what was where that was really zoomed in on this wasn't necessarily part of the story it was just this kind of like it was this thing that existed that allowed space for the musicality within Gilmore Girls it almost feels like that's why Gilmore Girls is more Amy because it was less about like the focus because she had let it go from her life to some degree but it was still there it was like very clearly like within the fabric of the town Mm -hmm. is Miss Patty and her dance and the dance studio that like that was like woven into who Amy is that like that's how that fell in Stars Hollow yeah absolutely. but it's not the focus no I love it, it for her mom I love it but I love that she kind of built out all these different little mediums for these characters to exist in we haven't really necessarily gotten into the actual structure of the town we've talked about the townies and like what they do but like when you really think about what she built in this town to create spaces for all of them to thrive like Taylor his character and like you know him working at Dozie's Market but also kind of being the town selectman and like Luke in his diner Patty her dance studio you know interestingly I have no idea what Babette and Maury do for money but like you know they just exist truly (laughs) in like some sort of musical medium (laughs) you know Kirk has all of these jobs you've got the flower shop got Bootsy in his newsstand like she really created all of these different mediums and I, I do think it was a blend of coming from of course visiting this town but like you said it's kind of coming from Amy's mind's eye where she didn't grow up in a town like this this is kind of this fantasy world that she was able to build out for herself which I think is so so cool and to that I think the other thing that I really love about kind of going back to what she said about building out characters that you really root for and making the mundane seem kind of spectacular and marvelous no pun intended marvelous (laughs) we love the pun today we do something that she said that was written about in this InStyle article that I really love is that she says female protagonists have just always been my jam all of my leading ladies are sharp smart funny have strong points of view but they're very different too Lorelai Gilmore was dealing with not knowing how to let people 
in. Michelle on Bunheads was the classic, I had a chance, I fucked it up, now here I am. Midge Maisel had the life she wanted, then discovered an ambition that preempted everything else. Susie Meyerson has the filthiest mouth, yet there's such vulnerability behind it. A woman doesn't have to be an FBI agent with a gun to her head to be a badass chick on TV. Chick. To me, it's more about <laughs> barging through life and putting the world together on your terms. And I feel like that's what she did. She didn't just do that through her character. She did that through the world of which she built this like small town yeah. that just like she built it on her terms and then went on and continued to build those characters on her terms, which is so cool. And for our show that we're that we're here to talk about, she built three female protagonists with like, I would argue that Rory kind of like, you know, doesn't necessarily have like strong opinions, but Lorelai and Emily just like completely bashing heads together are these women who are sharp, smart, and funny with very strong points of view. Yeah. I like Rory of like the idea of like someone who was raised by someone with a very strong opinion Yeah, from that perspective. But my favorite part about that quote is how she defines Lorelai. Lorelai Gilmore was dealing with not knowing how to let people in. Mm. Like when I read that, I was like, "Uh, I know. Okay. So we're going to have a whole episode about that, (laughs) about that whole entire idea and concept for her to like distill her character that way. I was like, wow, lots to unpack. And those like, what, like 10 words? I know. (laughs) I know. It's so true because that's a lot of her entire arc. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder how much of of Lorelai has, you know, I know a lot of it came from Amy's mind's eye and like her brain, but I wonder how much of her personality, and I'm sure it's a lot, but we'd have to actually like talk to Amy to see how much of it was kind of interwoven into the character of Lorelai Gilmore, but also like her nuances, what she likes, what she doesn't like, her references. And that's something that interestingly, Entertainment Weekly just did an article like within the last week or two about Amy and about her inspirations, her pop culture inspirations, because we've talked a lot about her, you know, familial inspirations where she came from her history but talking about kind of the things that she's interwoven into her shows and into her characters that she grew up on yeah and the pop culture references she loves because we talk a lot about like things that amy loves like skippy and sissy and i'm like yeah Who the hell are those well, we people? like on patreon we were jokingly keeping like this like very casual running list of like amy's favorite things like she loves ella fitzgerald mm. she loves fiddler on the roof mm-hmm. she loves the name skippy and sissy yes she loves those <laughs> and names. she just... loves being like you're eight you're four yeah. you're four years old which in the atx interview she says you're all audience you're all eight i know yeah Isn't that crazy and so we're just like keeping this like running list of things that come up a lot because it's like how she was influenced totally wait actually before we move on speaking of the atx interview something that she did say is that she wrote the dialogue for the kitchen scene between Lorelai and suki on the inn stationery that she was staying at and she still has it but she cracks really? yes but she cracks a joke at atx about pulling it out to see if it brings her joy and the fact that she put that Marie Kondo thing in there in a year in the life gorgeous so like that was such a prime example of how like Amy's everyday jargon what she talks about what she says always finds its way into the show so these references these pop culture references that she grew up on like literally it is like her mind just being put to paper seriously because if you ever read like the Gilmore isms booklets Mm. that come with the DVD box set there's like little Amy like under the Gilmore isms there's like Amy notes and a lot of them are like comedians that were friends with her dad Mm -hmm. that like they're like really obscure references but for her it's just like so foundational to who she is that's why i was so excited by this interview 
Entertainment Weekly article that came out because you and I were like, oh, we can share our little jokey list that we've been creating of like Amy's favorite things. But then here they literally dropped it into our laps. Yeah, because it was for the last season of Maisel. And so they're writing up a lot about that. And I think that some of the influences are geared towards Maisel and whatnot. Oh, sure. Well, it's it's also more current, but it's interesting to watch the way in which it's also kind of interwoven into Gilmore Girls because there's so much. So there. There's such a bridge between Maisel and Gilmore that, you know, we'll get into in another episode that there are so many plot points, references, dialogue, like a lot of things that bridge the gap between the two. And I see a lot of that in this article. And we and I don't think we necessarily have to get into all of the ones that are referenced in this Entertainment Weekly article. Y'all can go and and seek that out on your own. But yeah, she does make mention in this first this first title that they give the 2000 year old man that Amy says my influences on Gilmore Girls always came from the same place as my comedy influences came from, which basically includes Mel Brooks, Carl Reiner, and the 2,000-year-old man that started everything. My father was a comic, so I grew up around groups of men sitting in the backyard talking quickly and making each yeah. other laugh. My comedy came from the rhythm of Borscht Belt and that Jewish-Yiddish timing, which was Mel Brooks, which was Carl Reiner. And, you know, yeah. we failed to mention that Amy was raised Jewish, sort of, according to her. <laughs> yeah, because she actually, there's an essay that she wrote about it where she was not really, like, raised Jewish because her mother was a Baptist. Right. And her father wasn't really practicing so it was really only like in name that she was raised that way yeah she was more raised in the religion of dance yes um, is kind of how she framed it exactly but in that vein something else that she included in this article was like that the impact that musical comedy had Mm -hmm. in the same way that like the 2000 year old man did that it's like but you can like feel that in like the way that the story unfolds because it's like the classic musicals where she talks about like it's like something is constantly happening because she says she has no attention span so she doesn't want anyone else to (laughs) (laughs) That it's like fast dialogue and everything's always moving. But something that we mentioned in our last episode where you read the article, or not the article, where you read the the missing scene that maybe fits. Season two, episode three. Yeah. Where she talks about how like in a musical or in a classic musical, everything's constantly moving. But when it stops, that's when you start paying attention. And that's kind of how that felt is like, it felt like that dialogue that was so breathy or breathless rather, it felt like it was too much. But when she said the one line, everything stopped. Mm. And that feels like that's where the impact of things like that come across. Yeah, in the silence, where it's like, for sure. Yeah, so it's like we stop on a dime. Yeah. And it's like you can totally see where that falls in, especially with all of like the musical references that she has. Oh her my gosh, and the way that gypsy. she weaves musicality into her work. But yeah, she loves yeah. a good Fiddler on the Roof reference, and now we know why. She's raised <laughs> Jewish, sort of, and she loves a musical. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. Something else that she mentioned was the work of Norman Lear, which includes All in the Family, which is where Sally Struthers got her big break. Oh my gosh, look at that. I think that to be able to work with Sally Struthers growing up on a show like that and to incorporate her into her world and build this character of Babette for her and to also include, you know, Sally Struthers and Liz Torres and their musical background in a lot of what they do is is really special. I I really love that. The other one that like in terms of musical or yeah, was Tony Kushner, Mm. which I love when you can like so clearly see like someone that she loves and like find where this reference in the show because she really likes Caroline or change. Mm-hmm. And Rory says that she talks about how like brilliant 
Caroline or changes when her and Logan are breaking into the dining hall. Yeah. So I just, I love when you can like so clearly find something that's like one of her favorite things and she's like, oh, drop it in. Yeah. Because a lot of the times is like, it feels like these references, like who could know all of these things? I know. Because there's so many and some of them are so obscure, but she just felt like this is like two people who are like constantly reading, watching TV, like listening to music, watching movies. This is how they would talk and this is how their brain would work. Mm. And she's always wanted to make her audiences feel really smart Mm -hmm. which I've always really appreciated that like even if you don't get it you might get the next one you know like you just it just is moving along and that's how we kind of grew up on the show right like you know we would hear something and we knew it was funny yeah but we didn't know why (laughs) it was supposed to be funny but it kind of encourages you to like go look that up I'm like I want to know what that means what is that from and then like you are now exposed to this world that you otherwise wouldn't have known well that was like someone asked her is like if she intended that like if this was like her trying to educate like a new generation of people on all of these things that she loved and she was like absolutely not (laughs) that was inadvertent (laughs) yeah for sure well because it sounds like you know i i don't remember which article this came from but i remember reading i know we read so much we read (laughs) so much about this woman um but we can link them if you guys want to go for sure things that we read definitely but something was said about her her dad and how they wanted to keep older writers in the room at first because that was promoting this idea of like they know so much they know a lot about what was and you know what's happening now they were finding that like they really wanted to stay current and also hire a lot more female writers so that's why older writers started to kind of become more passe but interestingly the irony of that is that Amy was pulling out a lot of older references because of her dad and so she was a young a young female writer kind of pulling out all of these things that I don't know that I I don't want to make this generalization but I will that you know maybe someone her age like the average woman of her age didn't necessarily know because they weren't exposed to those things and she was because of her dad and I think that there's something so ironic and beautiful about that very poetic it's always interesting that this was like pop culture references is how people refer to it because it's like most of the reference I would consider not necessarily popular culture yeah like it's just like the references that she grew up on of like a honestly like a different time yeah for sure but she did mention that like she would make a really obscure reference about like an American pianist and then the next page there'd be Justin Timberlake exactly so it's like no it there was is that so like degree. the spectrum was so <laughs> wide and I I loved it so I know that we just you know kind of shared a ton of information leading up to Gilmore Girls and what's been interwoven into Gilmore Girls but is there you know we're not really going to get into the aftermath of that quite yet because I think that we could do a whole nother episode on that oh for there's sure. so the much drama. more to say <laughs> um but is there anything that you want to know about her that we didn't really get into? I know we talked about, I really want to know if her middle name is Victoria. I think that would be just like a snippet yeah. of information. But I think the number one question for me is about her relationship with Dan, how that transpired, how they met, what their, you know, wedding was yeah. like. Was it simple? Was it, okay, fine, I'll do it. Because there's like some degree of it. It was like, I want to know everything. I want to be a busybody. Give me your whole life story. I know. But at the <laughs> same time, it's like, influence. how much of it do we just want to remain? what it is I think that I would really want to know how the proposal went down Mm. if only because like I do like that we get that little snippet from her about her parents but I just would like to know like what exactly went down for her because like she has like and there's like a whole article about her talking about how cynical of a person she is and that like she genuinely like is quoted as saying here let me pull it up 
that I believe that people are born evil and you have to beat goodness into them. I don't think it's the other way around. I just don't think there's good in the world. I expect to be disappointed at any given moment. But she said, maybe that's why I write hopeful things because maybe something will, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I do believe people are born evil and you have to beat goodness into them. And there was almost this moment where she was like, maybe I write hopeful things because maybe something hopeful will happen. Yeah. Like maybe there's something worth hoping for. Yeah. But she says she's not a hopeful person. And so like- Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I, it makes me want to like know more about like I feel like that's something that's one of the reasons why I love the book club of like having like a very romance focused book club is because like what is more hopeful than loving someone and so that's why I want to know like what it was like for her to find someone like that yeah even if it's never something we get an answer on it's just for someone who is so self-defined as being so cynical and I wouldn't say hopeless but like she says she's not hopeful right that like how falling in love comes about for someone like that yeah that's like that's interesting to me that's such an interesting question yeah for sure yeah maybe we don't necessarily need to know how they got married how they you know, chose to get married, what it was like, how it evolved. Because obviously they're doing something right. They've been together for quite some time. Yeah. And um, they're working together and they too. they work together. It's yeah. It's hard to do that. No, it really is. It's it really is. hard to mix that together. But they seem to really t- trust each other with like the, the work that for they sure. do. For sure. I mean, they really wouldn't be love. working together this closely on so many things if they didn't. No, you're totally right. Maybe maybe just a picture from their wedding is would su- suffice for me just for all of that. God, I hope she's wearing all black and a top hat. <laughs> I know. Or like red or yeah, something. something. Yeah. Something, something. Well, that's why I wonder how much of it may have been woven into Lorelai and Luke's wedding in the revival because Lorelai is not wearing white. I think there's something really special about that. But on that note, we're curious what our listeners want to know or if you have anything that we maybe missed, some plot holes in our Amy episode that you want to share with us, things that you'd want us to expand on. We'd love to hear from you guys because we're going to have a Gilmore to consider about Amy next week. And we'd love to hear your thoughts, call in, share your opinions, ask some questions, give us some plot holes maybe we missed. Maybe you have a question and we can look into it I know. see if something um see if we, we can miss something do some more research yeah. i have one more point that i want to bring up but i think i'll have more to say on that in the next episode if you want more gilmore to say join us on patreon where you can listen to our spoiler full rewatch podcast gilmore revisited where we're currently watching season three you can also join us for live watches our community discord page and get monthly merch discounts to our old-fashioned merch shop at gilmoretosay.com and be sure to follow us on Instagram at Gilmore to Say Podcast, where you can stay up to date on all things Gilmore to Say.